I'm going to ask you to stand now as we read God's Word together. Found in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless his word and to the teaching of God's word today. You may be seated. Thanks, Buzz. Well, good morning again. It's, it's great to see you guys. I'm always privileged whenever I get a chance to bring the word. And this morning, we're actually bringing to a close the series that we've been doing for some time now on looking at the purpose and the values, practices uh, of the church here. But not just this church, but as designed for the church of Jesus Christ. And so before I get into the last two practices that we're studying, I want to just give you a perspective of where we are and why the importance of this series. You know, when Ryan and I talked about transition, we thought, you know, it's really important for all of us to know that uh, we didn't invent Jesus. Even though there's various styles of churches, high church, low church, churches with a lot of liturgy, churches with not a whole lot of liturgy, we don't have the privilege of inventing Jesus, thank God. Can you say amen to that? Amen. That, that, that we are water skiing behind Jesus' boat. He doesn't water ski behind you. And so, what is the purpose of a Christian? What is the purpose of the church? What are the practices of the first church that have been passed on for 20 centuries? What are the values, which means Jesus style? How do we do Jesus, Jesus style? Because I've been around a few Christians that make me run away. Not you, not you but a, a few people. I thought, whoa, if that's how Jesus is, I don't know if I can do this thing. And that's why it took me a while to begin to say yes to Jesus. And what are the doctrines of the faith? I want you to look at something to give you an idea of where my theology comes from. This is uh, Alice in Wonderland. Can we uh, have that slide? This, as you know, she's encountering the Cheshire Cat. And by the way, Lewis Carroll, who wrote Alice in Wonderland, uh, he was a dear friend of George MacDonald, who is uh, like the mentor that C.S. Lewis never met. Uh, so there in Oxford, this mathematician, brainy mathematician, writes Alice in Wonderland. Had nothing to do with drugs. 
Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? And the cat responds, well, that depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, I don't much care where. And the cat says, then it doesn't matter which way you go. And that is the society we live in right now. We get to invent everything. Uh, you get to take your pulse and say, well, what do you feel like today? Well, I feel like uh, I'm a this or I'm a that. I feel like doing this or doing that. I don't feel like doing this or I don't feel like doing that. And people go through their entire life, 70, 90 years, never knowing what it was all about. Just day by day. And sadly, culture bleeds into the church. It's supposed to be the other way around. But the church is often influenced by the culture we are in. So our, we're lost in this sea of what I would call sea of subjectivity. Let me show you the next slide. Yeah, this is where we are as a culture right now. Just lost at sea. What do you want to do, Alfie? I don't know. Uh, we wake up in the morning. You want to have a prayer time? I don't know. I'm not feeling prayer today. I am feeling prayer. I'm not feeling prayer. You want to go to church? I'm not feeling church. I am feeling church. Do you want to be with other Christians midweek? I'm not trying to convict you, but certainly if the shoe fits any of us, do I want to give? I don't know. Do I, do I want to share Christ with that? I don't know. I don't. So we're really asking Jesus to water ski behind our subjectivity, our feelings, as opposed to saying, no, he, he is the captain of this ship and he knows what's best. So, let me just quickly review where we've been over the last couple months, and then we'll get into the practices for this morning. First of all, the purpose of the church and the purpose of every Christian is to be people who are being transformed by Jesus. You get saved, and the transformation process begins. And by the way, you can see any of this on our website. If you just say, whoa, 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 this is too fast. Where did this all come from? We've written all this down on your website. I'm not expecting you to read all of this. I saw some of your eyes going. <laughs> so we're being transformed by Jesus. And now we are called to go out transforming our little world around us. Influencing, sharing Christ, giving love, uh, giving dollars giving time, just reaching out to the people around us. The beliefs of the church that we have, and I would to God every church would have, are the historic doctrines of the faith that come down to us from the New Testament itself. We haven't studied these in this series, but we've done it in other series, which is that we believe in God the Father, triune God. We believe in Jesus as fully God, fully man, came as the savior of the world. Uh, we believe in the deity of Christ. We believe in the virgin birth, the atonement, the resurrection, the Holy Spirit, and his powerful work in our lives, that we are born both in the image of God and fallen and destined to be redeemed. We believe in the church. This is a doctrine that 
really is lacking in modern day church. That there's actually a doctrine of believing in the importance of the we and not the Davy Crockett me, which is so prevalent in America. And we believe in the sacraments of baptism and communion and the visible, let me say that again, the visible return of Jesus Christ. Amen? Boy, do we need that. And then we studied the values, and there's too many. Uh, but just simply to say, we want to do Jesus, Jesus style. And then the practices that we have, I want to help you to understand where these practices come from. If, if I could go to the next slide. I did this uh, 40 years ago. I went through the book of Acts, and I went through the entire New Testament with uh, eight colors. And, and what I was looking for is the factors or practices that existed in the first church. Could I do a factor analysis? A factor analysis is simply where someone looks at a whole clump of, of things and says, I'm starting to see some unique variables or factors that we could actually give names to. And so we've actually done this in this series. Worship, prayer, you could clump those together. Sometimes pastors do. But I fear when we do that, one loses out or the other. Worship is vital, but prayer is vital. And the same with word and discipleship. You could clump those together, but the study of God's word and me discipling others and they discipling me are different enough that we need to actually specify those. Fellowship in the ministry of the gifts, those could be clumped together, but they're actually unique enough. Uh, fellowship, we need the we. Folks, I am the worst sinner when it comes to the we. I am such an individualist. I'm ashamed. I'm, I'm the worst. I'm Davy, Davy Crockett, Daniel Boone, all wrapped up into one. So I don't wake up saying, where's the we? I need other people. I'm not that guy. But I need you to push me along because as a molecule, H2O, I am not a river. You get a lot of H2Os together, and it can become a river. So we need each other, the we, but we all have unique gifts, different callings, different gifts, and including the miraculous gifts. And then the two that we're going to talk about this morning are outreach and giving. So put all of these together. This is what it looks like in, in my mayhem mind. Next slide. This is what we've done for the last two months. Now that probably is clear as mud, but it, it just lets you into my psychosis. So the purpose of us, transform people by the power of Jesus Christ to transform our world. How do we do that? These are all the practices. What's the style in which we do this? The air we breathe, these are the values in how we do them. 
And so this keeps us on course. Next slide. I was so blessed as we have come out of, uh, whoa, that's blurry. Whoa. Not enough pixels in that one, huh? So when we came out of uh, what we think might be coming out of COVID, <laughs> who knows? <laughs> um, someone asked, how are we doing as a church? I said, you know what? It is unbelievable. It is a miracle. With all of the craziness that went on over the last two years, it was like sailing into a fog this fog bank and that lightning and storms and and we couldn't see the stars we couldn't use any of our navigational tools where are we are we on course as a church and to come out two years later and say oh my gosh we are not only on course we are dead on course we are going exactly where we need to be uh, the church is back uh, everything seems to be operating full cylinders, and I'm so blessed. But praise be to Jesus, Captain Jesus, who has kept us making the main thing the main thing. What are we supposed to be doing? What's our purpose? What are our practices? How do we do these practices? All of it is keeping us on course. So if you understand all of that, just nod your head and we'll go on into the sermon. <laughs> Amen. We're good. Now you know where we've been over the last two years. So this morning, I want to first of all talk about outreach. In Acts 2, what we read this morning, it says in verse 47, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is remarkable. Peter preaches this sermon. You remember, it's the day of Pentecost. The Holy Spirit comes down. Uh, it's, it's, it's in that period right after Passover. Remember, Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. Easy to remember. Penta. So there's thousands of people, visitors, Jews, that have come into the city of Jerusalem. And this miraculous event comes where... The, the early church finds themselves encountering the Holy Spirit, tongues of fire upon their heads. They're speaking in glossolalia, speaking in tongues. And the people are just asking, what is this? It spills out of the upper room onto the streets. And Peter, cowardly, running away, denying Jesus three times, Peter stands up and preaches. A new kind of Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. And he gives the very first evangel of the church. The good, word evangel is the good news of the church. And 3,000 people are added to the church that day. Whoa, not a bad message, Peter. <laughs> oh my gosh. From 120 to 3,000. And you might argue, well, 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 but there, a lot of that was because of the pre-evangelization of Jesus in, in feeding the 5,000, reaching these people and these people, and they, and they were ready. Whatever. The church grew to 3,000 that day. 
A few weeks later, there's another event where a man is healed in the gate beautiful, and Peter is asked to give an account, and he's, he preaches to the crowd, but he also preaches to the Pharisees, to the Sanhedrin, and they warn them to stop doing this, and it tells us that the church grew that day from 3,000 to 5,000, two more thousand. So this is now a very significant presence in the city of Jerusalem, and they're practicing these practices that we're studying here. So one of the practices that you and I are called to do and be a part of is outreach. Listen, from the very moment you give your heart and life to Jesus Christ, you are a fisher of men. You don't feel ready. You don't feel called. Someone stuffs a fishing pole, fishing rod in your hand, and you're just staring at it. You don't know how to tie a hook. You don't know how to put any weights or a bobber on your line. You don't, you don't even think of fly fishing. But you're a fisher of men, and that's okay. By the way, I've noticed the best fishermen are the ones that don't really know what they're doing. Not necessarily catching real fish, but evangelizing unbelievers. Because, listen, when you come to faith, you have this whole network of unbelievers. You don't hang around with Christians all the time. You're, you have all these unbelieving friends. But over the years, you become Christianized, you become sanctified, you become holified, you become church-eyed. And by the time you've been a Christian seven years, you don't even have a non-Christian friend. When I was first saved, I was in a band. We played secular events all over Orange County. And these musicians that were playing in our church kept coming to me and saying, you need to come apart from Babylon and start playing only in churches. And I said, why? There's no non-Christians in churches. And we were starting to share Christ. In, we were a secular band, but we were starting to share Christ in the intermission. We'd tell the audience, hey, we're taking a break, but Dave and I, we're going to be sitting on the edge of the stage with our guitars, and we're going to just be sharing some songs that we've written lately and, and sharing songs about our hearts and faith. And if you want to listen, you can listen. If you don't want to listen. And, and that's what we did. And we would be called into many vice principals and principals' offices uh, to give a reason of why we were mixing church and state. And we, like Peter and John, we would argue back and say, hey, we never proselytized. We never made it a part of the program. We just said this is our personal thing. And if you want to listen, you can't. But the schools didn't know what to do with that, if, you know, colleges and so forth. Things haven't changed a whole lot. <laughs> so how do we do this? Well, Peter, actually, years later, maybe 25, 30 years later, in his first epistle, he gives us some instruction about evangelism. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as the Lord. In 1 Peter 3.15, always be prepared. To everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. 
and do this with gentleness and respect. There's two things I want you to know. He's giving us the what and he's giving us the how. Always be prepared. So I like how I just said that. Always be prepared. That's my Southern California accent coming up. <laughs> so all of us are to be preparing ourselves in what we believe. What we believe and why we believe. Because someone's going to ask me, and I don't know, I don't know. Uh, but we need to be schooling ourselves, Peter says, and we need to be preparing ourselves. It's important that you and I not believe that this is relegated for just the elite evangelists and apostles and pastors of the church. That we just coast and those guys do all the evangelism. This is something that we all do. By the way, did you know that 86% of all people who come to faith do not come to faith through a pastor evangelist? They come to faith by a friend. It's the way it's intended to work. Elton Trueblood said this, Evangelism is not a profession job for a few trained men but is instead the unrelenting responsibility of every person who belongs to the company of Jesus. I love that. The unrelenting responsibility. Now, that sounds heavy. It's not guilt. It's opportunity. My family, they're the toughest, by the way. Right? Your family, our friends, our work associates, that the people that we're with Constantly, those are the people that we are called to reach. So this idea of you and I being called as evangelists, back in 1994, that's a long time ago, there was a survey taken by Barna Survey, and, and, and they asked how many in the church believe that they are called Individually, everyone to be evangelists. And 90% said yes. Guess what that number is today in a recent poll in 19, excuse me, 2021. 64% of the people who regularly attend believe that they are a part of fishing, that they are a part to be evangelists. So we have to fight against this and say, no, this is something that we all get to part participate in. So we're preparing ourselves in devotions. We're preparing ourselves in Bible studies. Right now, you are being prepared to share your faith. But now the question is, how do we do What style? What are our values? And Peter says, with gentleness and respect. Oh, how we needed that advice over the last two years in America. Whatever you think about vaccines, whatever you think about masks, whatever you think about race, whatever you think about schools, whatever you think about politics, whatever you think, do it. With gentleness is also the word for humility and respect. Well, this is what I think. What do you think? Well, that's an interesting perspective. 
Well, my perspective is this, but it hasn't been that, has it? It's been veins popping out of people's necks, eyeballs popping out of it. Don't you know? You know, and we've lost that art. But the church, we need, even though what we believe is, is not about simply masks and vaccines, it's about our eternity about Jesus Christ, we still do it with dignity, with respect, and with humility. When I was uh, maybe 35, I, 32, I saw an evangelist who worked with InterVarsity preach an open-air message in, in a food court up in... Uh, University of Manchester, New Hampshire. And I was just so impressed with that. I thought, um, what he did was he said, he just stood up, raised his voice, and he says, hello, my name is so-and-so, and for the next seven minutes, I'm going to share this subject with you, and afterwards, I'm going to open up for questions. And I thought, oh my gosh, <laughs> the brass of that man to, to do that. And I thought, is that a nudge I feel from the Holy Spirit? I don't, to this day, I don't know. Um, but I said, I'm going to try it. And so I went down to the Boston Common, and I waited for lunchtime. And... As, as, as soon as lunchtime hits, all the businesses around the Boston Common, literally thousands of people just start going out on the Boston Common. And I raised my hands and raised my voice. I said, hello, I am Mark Foreman, and I want to speak to you over the next seven minutes. And I don't remember what, I chose a different subject every week. Um, and everyone looked at me and just kept walking. <laughs> And I thought, well, that didn't go over so well, did it? Uh, and I always took two guys with me because I was so scared. I was afraid I would chicken out. And so I said, let's, let's go over to Quincy Market and try that again. <laughs> and, you know, I maybe had 17 people listen and uh, just feeling sorry for me. Uh, but I said, you know, it's not enough to try it once. I'm going to try it again. I'm going to try it again. I tried. So I, I made myself do it every Thursday afternoon. Uh, for the entire summer to see how it works. And, and these guys g got so addicted to it that when the school season started and I stopped doing it, they kept doing it. Looking back, I think there was maybe one or two people that got saved. There was a time that they tried to throw me in the pond, <laughs> but my bros stopped them from doing it. But here's what happened. By the time I finished sharing my seven-minute message, I usually had like 25, 30 people that stopped and said, wow, this guy, I've never heard such a thing. Once the Q&A started, the crowd would grow sometimes up to 250 people because they'd never heard anybody allow for questions. What I think was happening, there's a, there was a lot of people with bullhorns back in those days, and they're yelling at people, and, and, 
and telling them to repent and everything. And I thought, you know, that's not gentle. I think when you go on the Boston Common, you should have a choice whether you want to listen or whether you don't. We should treat them with respect. So I never used any amplification. But I think with questioning, it allows for dignity for me to say, you know, that's a great question. Let's think about this and to interact on that kind of thing. And that's, I'm not using myself as an example of what you should do, but it's, it's kind of a, a bizarre example. But in all of our relationships, this idea of, hey, go to the fishing hole and then go tomorrow and go in the next day and go then You don't have to solve it all today. You have this ongoing dialogue of Q&A, of uh, exploring truth with all of your friends and loved ones. But it's the Holy Spirit's job to actually change a heart. You can't do that. I have had many times where I, I just said to a, a friend this last week, is there anything, two weeks ago, I said, is there anything that would keep you from praying this prayer with me? to accept Christ in your heart. And I thought, you know, we were having lunch, and I thought, he's ready, it's time. And he said, actually, yes, there is something that would keep me. I'm not ready. And I thought, the fruit felt ripe, but he wasn't ready. So we'll just meet again, and we'll just meet again. So from the moment you're saved, the line goes in the water. You, like Jesus said to Peter, I will make you a fisher of men. And then keep your line in the water. Sometimes you talk about Jesus, sometimes you don't. But what you're doing is building friendship over and over and over again. And by the way, you're still there, right? 90% of evangelism is pre-evangelism. Let me say that again. 90% of evangelism is pre-evangelism. What is pre-evangelism? Pre-evangelism is, hello, how are you doing? How's that latte? How's your children? How's this going? It's building trust. It's building friendship. It's just being Jesus uh, to people. But there comes that day. And you just try it all in various ways. Two examples in my own life. Uh, when I was just brand new Christian, I met my sister on the stairway of her home. I'm 18, she's 16. And, and she says, wow, you've been going to church a lot lately, which wasn't normal for our house. And I said, yeah, do you want to? Do you want to go? She says, what's it all about? I said, well, uh, it's Jesus. I'm I, 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 and she says, I said, would you like Jesus? And she said, um, I don't know. Uh, what's, how does that work? And I said, I don't know. Um, <laughs> do you want to talk? And we went up and sat on her bed, and, and I shared my story. And that's all we have to do. Just tell them your story. And my story is I was an idiot, and now I'm not so much an idiot. <laughs> That's my story. And 
And, and he cleansed my heart, and, and he forgave me of my sins. So I, I share this with my sister, and she says, okay, um, now what do we do? And I said, I don't know. I said, I think I'm supposed to lay hands on your head like a football. <laughs> and, and then I'll pray, and then you pray, and then we're good. And so, and you, you look back and say, Mark, that was crazy. <laughs> you don't fish that way. But, you know, it worked. Another time I'm thinking about evangelism a lot. And I said, the next guy I meet, I'm just going to be bold. So I'm doing summer school at uh, Cal State Fullerton. And this head gardener sees me walking up onto campus. And I had seen him before a few times. And he says, I said, hey, man. And he said, hey, man, what's a good word? And I said, well, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> and... I said, uh, Jesus died for my sins, and he's given me new life, and he can give you new life too. And he burst out laughing, and he says, you idiot. You believe that malarkey? Uh, you call yourself a student at the university, and you believe that mythology? And he just went into a lecture on me of what a stupid idiot I was. Well, I went to class that day with my tail between my legs. And you're like, hey, I was going to share Jesus with the first person I said. So you win some and you lose some. But Jesus said it would happen, right? But the good news is that Jesus has changed your life, hasn't he? And, you know, if I taste good ice cream, I tell people about it. If, if I know where good waves are, I don't tell people about it. <laughs> Anything that's good, I, I tend to evangelize, say, this is amazing. Why not Jesus? The best thing. So the second thing we're studying this morning in the last practice is related to this. It really is. And it's the practice that you see in the early church of giving. Going back to Acts 2.45, it says, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Whoa. Can you imagine? Like we recently raised a quarter of a million to send to churches that we're in contact with in Ukraine so that they can minister to people. In the Afghanistan crisis of our, the pullout of troops, we discovered that a lot of the Christians, if you're a Christian convert in Afghanistan, from Islam to Christianity, you will be killed. Not if you were raised a Christian in Afghanistan, in a historic Christian, but if you were a convert, then you will be killed because you betrayed, in their minds, Islam. And so we raised money to help get sizable amount of people in Afghanistan out. And we still have used some of that funds to help people who have chosen to stay in the country to be the first new church of Afghanistan. And again, about a quarter of a million dollars you have given. But 
even beyond that, these people sold their property. Can you imagine? Mark, hold that offering for a moment. I'm going to go sell my property in Vista so I can give to... This is pretty radical. It's, it's letting us know this is radical giving. Now, years later, not Peter, but the Apostle Paul makes a comment in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 about giving in general. And Paul says in verse 6, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So once again, he's telling us what to do, the practice, which is giving, but he's also telling us the style or the values in which we are to give. So first of all, he's not suggesting that you just give on a whim. Now, sometimes we do. We see somebody, we reach into our pocket and say, and we, here's some money. But here in this case, he's, he's saying pre-decide. You can love Jesus with your heart and your mind, right? When you come here, we don't ask you to leave your, your head outside the door. We love him with all of our heart and our mind. So we pre-decide what we're going to give. But if you go back and read 2 Corinthians chapter 9, you find out that there's more about thinking. Paul actually gives them the information that they need. And it's the information that we all need when it comes to giving, usually. That is regular giving. But before I do, let me just pause. Because giving is a very sensitive subject to Americans. Sex, giving, probably a few, politics. It's a very sensitive, as a speaker, I can feel the room become really, really, it wasn't quiet when I was talking about evangelism, but with giving, it's like, no oxygen left. So I'm just making you aware of it, that I know that it's a sensitive subject. I do not like to go to churches that are always harping about money. So I'm not doing that, please. No, if, if you and I decide, I don't want to ever give to this church or to God ever, I still want to be your friend. I don't want to have this dialogue. But we're studying, not ourselves, we're studying the early church and their practices to say, how can I be like the early church. So in 2 Corinthians 9, Paul informs them who's handling the money. That's important. I don't just like, wow, that sounds great. Uh, you know, he just sold me a timeshare, and now he's telling me this, and I think I'll give him all my money. Uh, no offense to people who sell timeshares, but they're usually really good. But Paul says, you need to know who's handling the money. You need to know what the cause is. What is this going towards? And when is the offering going to be taken? It's, it's all spelled out there in 2 Corinthians. So it's clear he wants us to give with our heads and our hearts. But it's also clear 
that he's encouraging us to be givers, right? Those who give generously will be rewarded generously, sparingly will be rewarded sparingly. But then he uses these interesting words. What you've predecided to give in your heart. That is the wanting muscle of your being. It is so freeing to give with your heart. Say, this is what I want to do, and this is what I'm going to do. Can you imagine your first romantic date where you're you're wondering, um, well, we've been dating a couple of weeks now, and, and do I kiss her goodnight or do I not kiss her goodnight? And it, you know, and you decide to kiss her reluctantly. That doesn't make sense, right? It's like, yes, finally, it's a good night kiss. So God is not wanting us to become reluctant givers, like, all right. I'm ashamed to tell you that I was in a church once where they were passing the basket just like you and me, and uh, we used to do here, and hopefully we'll do again. Um, and I thought, oh, boy. I don't have any money on me, but I, I believe in giving, and I want everybody else to think that I am a giver. And uh, so I reached in my pocket. You're nodding your head. You've done it too. <laughs> reached in my pocket like I pulled out some bills in my hand, kept my hand closed, put my hand into the... I know. Shame, shame, shame. <laughs> I, it's, it's no worse than Ananias and Sapphira, you know? I mean, it's, it's pretending to get the credit and the glory of giving when you actually don't give, and then you just drop your hand and nobody knows. By the way, we wouldn't know if you put your hand in and took something. Now it's good to hear you laughing. But Paul says here, to give with your heart. Your heart is the weather vane of what you want. And if you don't know what you want, spend some time with yourself and your friends, and they'll tell you, we know this is what you want because this is what you always do. God knows what you want. But what if what you want is to give like Jesus gave to you? to help others like he's helped you. And so he says, not reluctantly or under compulsion. And that's, we won't get into it, but that's the sad story of Acts chapter 5 where Ananias and Sapphira fake giving. They sell property, they only give a portion, but they take the credit in front of the whole church that they gave all the money from the real estate uh, to the church. And God judged them for it. Like, what? Don't fake your spirituality. Don't ever use God to advance your ego downfield. Rather, just be honest. Just say, I'm not ready. I don't want to. It's much healthier. So he says, don't give reluctantly or under compulsion. But God loves a cheerful giver. And it's true that the Greek here... Uh, is the word from which we get our word hilarious. You're just a happy giver. And that's how we give. 
So you think back at Jesus, and you see how these two ideas of outreach, which is giving the word and the good news of Jesus to people, and the other is giving to others in need, are really two sides of the same coin, right? It's, it's you going beyond the boundaries of self to extend yourself for others, and it's really what Jesus did. We can look at the last slide before this one. There we go. Jesus didn't give himself sparingly. He just, he gave it all, right? His life. So we just say, hey, I'm going to share Christ with others. And then when it comes to giving, hey, he didn't hold back. I'm going to give. When I was first a believer learning this lesson of giving, I could feel the tentacles in my heart. I didn't have much. I had a VW bus. And shortly after my conversion, I totaled it in an intersection in Tustin. So now I didn't have the bus anymore, and I just had my keyboard and my amplifier. The only two things I owned as an 18-year-old. And I thought, you know, I think the band's coming to a close. I don't know. I have nothing to give. So I drove up in my parents' car to the church, and I gave my keyboard and my amplifier and brought it into the church office. And they kind of look at it. I said, it's, it's my tithe. It's my offering. Um, now, I look back at that, and I don't think I've given much in comparison to that since. Because that was everything. That was all in. So here's what happened. Probably three or four months later, I go to a church camp up in Idlewild. And uh, they got this worship team, and, and the worship leader says, by the way, um, we need a keyboard. If there's a keyboard player, if there's any keyboard player out there, uh, we'd love for you for the rest of the week to be a part of the worship team. And so after the service, I go up and said, if nobody else is going to volunteer, I'll volunteer. I said, but I don't have anything to play. And they said, oh, no problem. Uh, we have a keyboard and an amplifier right up here. This is a different church. This is a different place. And there was my keyboard <laughs> and my amplifier. And I thought, you know what? You can't out, you can't out give God. I looked at the life of Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus is a great example of both. Zacchaeus, you know, Jesus said, come down to that tree. I'm going to have... Ha- lunch at your house today. Zacchaeus becomes an evangelist. He immediately goes out and invites his friends to come to have lunch with Jesus. And he realizes he hasn't been fair in handling his money. And he starts giving back to people the money that he took unfairly. And you have this great act of both evangelism and giving. So here's my advice on the first thing. Number one, pray. If you make a list of those in your life that you say, I want to, I would love to see them come to Christ. Make the list. And just start praying for them regularly. 
know that it's going to be primarily pre-evangelism. How's it going? How are the kids? Did you ever get over COVID? Did you ever this? Just stay attuned to their life. At some point, step out and just tell your story. Just tell your story. Have I ever told you the story of the, what's most important to me in my life? No. You know, may not mean anything to you, but it means a lot to me. And you just tell your story. Nobody can say, that didn't happen. I don't believe that happened. It, it's your story. Don't be preachy. Don't be like me. And then do it again. Just do it again. Love them again. Love them again. Love them again. Love them again. And then when it comes to giving, uh, stretch yourself. Take stock. Hey, I haven't been giving. Uh, 10% feels like a lot. I think Jesus validates the idea in, in the Gospel of Luke and Matthew, the idea of tithing. But he also says, you should also not neglect these other things in your life. So I think it's a great uh, mark for all of us to get to. But for all of us to just say, hey, this is, this is not my money. It's the Lord's. And just as I'm sharing my faith, I want to use these funds to advance the gospel. Uh, other things I would say, when you hear great causes, uh, that you'll, you, you're just overwhelmed with opportunity to give nowadays to anything and everything. Um, my preference is to give through Christians, partic particularly churches. I'll look to see... If an earthquake happens in that country, and there's, I'll see what churches are there because it means so much to have money coming through a Christian, through churches, because it will eventually lead to conversations and opportunities for them to find faith in Christ. Um, to establish a discipline in your life where you give regularly, not on feelings, just floating on whether you're feeling it today or not today or that, that kind of thing. But just become disciplined in your giving and watch what God does for you. Anne Frank said this. She said, no one has ever become poor through giving. It's a great concept, isn't it? You cannot outgive God. God will give back to you. Amen. Let's stand together. Father, we want to be all in as followers of Jesus. We want to follow you, Jesus. No one has ever given themselves like you have given yourself to us crossing that infinite gap from heaven to earth, from deity to humanity. To save our souls. And God, we're so grateful. And so God, make us little evangels that go out with the good news, looking for opportunities with friends and loved ones, even strangers, to share the good news of our story, of how you've 
you've brought good news into our lives. That we might do it, Lord, with humility and respect for others. And then, God, we, we hand you our lives, including our time, energy, and money. It's not ours. It's yours. And we want to be good stewards of what you have given to us. And so we give it all back to you, Lord. Guide us in our giving that we might be people who invest generously in eternity and not just in temporal things. How do you feel? As your coach, I may have stretched you a little bit today. But I hope you didn't come here saying, I hope Mark increases my flabbiness. <laughs> we want to be stretched, right? So I invite you out of the sea of subjectivity into following Jesus, Captain Jesus, following him, with his purpose, his practices, his values, to do Jesus, Jesus style, not my style. And where God has convicted you today, it's okay. Let him stretch you. Let him train you. But don't, don't feel bad about yourself. Just go home and ask God. So help me. I feel stretched here. And, and this is all I, I feel comfortable with. Have that conversation. And uh, let Jesus guide you. But I leave you with this one thought. He is the Lord. And we water ski behind his boat. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Amen.